about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. What though the odds be great or small, old Notre Dame will win over all, while her loyal sons are marching onward to victory. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. I'm Dylan, joined by Steve and by P-Wagon. And for those of you tuning in right now, I just have one thing to say. How about them, Irish? <laughs> Steve, how you doing? I am so, so freaking good. I'm just fantastic. How about you, P? I I'm emotionally void of anything right now. I love life. I haven't stopped smiling since last night. Um, it feels like '88. That's all. I wasn't alive in '88, but it certainly <laughs> feels like it. It's it's probably the biggest win in the history of myself, and that's all I got. So, how about we just let the audience know what the hell we're talking about? The Notre Dame Fighting Irish took on the first-ranked Clemson Tigers Saturday night and in double overtime emerged victorious. At one point, ESPN's win probability was at 98% for, for Clemson. It was one of the, the craziest games of the season. Whew. We won. We knocked them off. We finally won the big game. Florida State 2014, Clemson 2015, Georgia 2017, Georgia 2019. All these close games. And here we finally did it, the biggest one of them all. It was the first time that we beat a top five team and a number one ranked team since 1993. And we did it. We made history. I'm still in shock. How, how, like, what are your reactions? Well, I was referencing Tasha being coming the new Bachelorette, so I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> oh, shut <laughs> up. No, but uh, in all seriousness, after they won... Uh, I ran around my house. Uh, Brad Kelly, 17 on Twitter, has a video of me doing that. Um, and then when he stopped recording, I got off the phone with my grandpa. And I put the hat that Steve's wearing. It says, make Notre Dame great again. I put that over my face and I just started crying. Uh, it wasn't like I planned to cry. It, it just happened because of everything you said. And even going back to USC in 2005, USC in 2007, it's it just been a, it's been a long time coming. And we've put up with so much shit to get to this point. Uh, it, it was just an emotional overload. Yeah. yeah I'm actually, but... uh, I'm actually starting to tear up right now. It's just literally, I've been a Nordian fan since I was 13 years old. Uh, I got a hand-me-down jersey yeah, as, as our newer listeners to the podcast. We, we went over our origin stories uh, pretty early on in the podcast. But uh, when I was 13, I got a hand-me-down jersey. Then for Christmas, I got the first NCAA football game, started playing with the Irish, and then haven't looked back. I've pretty much seen every single game since then. So I literally have been waiting for this moment for 17 years, been waiting for the big one. And we are, we're not over yet. 
we're not, you know, this is, is uh, one more step on the journey, but feels like 1988, man. <laughs> it feels like 1988. I am so emotionally happy yeah i mean for me last night i was wondering during the game i'm like if we win am i gonna cry and i didn't but what happened was on uh, in the in the second overtime period once we got the first sack i uh, i went on my knees just to watch i just had to be as close to like the ground as possible and i just watched the remaining plays and once it was third and forever i opened up the that that's when i realized we had won or it was fourth and forever, whatever. The, on their last down, I knew we had won. So that was my moment of excitement. I went to the Twitter account to get to get some tweets ready. And then in that last play, I I don't even, I, I'm sure I was screaming. I don't even recall what was happening. But it was like, oh my God, we finally done it. And we did it in such a way that only Notre Dame could do it that way. That's the only way this program knows how to win that kind of game is let's make a fourth quarter 100-yard drive comeback against all odds. And then let's start overtime by giving up a touchdown on the first play and still manage to win the game. It was unbelievable. I think this might have been the greatest game Notre Dame Stadium has ever seen. It's certainly up there with Florida State of 93. Um, I, I just, I've never seen so much positivity, I think, in the fan base ever um, because we got it over the line. That was the biggest criticism we've all had is we haven't gotten that game over the line well, guess what? We made history. We got it over the line. We beat Clemson. I talked to a bunch of people, some who were at the stadium, some who were watching from home, and your sentiment is what they echoed. They don't remember what happened after the game. Like, I, I can't tell you what I did. I somehow had slippers and a hat on, and when I came back into the living room, I did not have my slippers and I did not have my hat. I painting <laughs> fell off the wall. I had to be reminded of what I did. The it was just a cathartic experience. Uh, I won a national championship playing rugby, uh, Division three rugby, back in two thousand twelve, uh, and it was very similar to that moment there, uh, where you just are you're out of body. And I wasn't playing, but it's the same thing because of all the bullshit we've put up with uh, for me since nineteen ninety eight. Can, can I yeah. ask you guys a question? Because um, I, I think this is going to be relevant for all of us. How emotionally draining was the game for you? Terribly. I uh, I don't I can't feel I'm I'm done today. I got nothing. Yeah, I, like I know we're partly hungover, but we're also partly I think just so drained emotionally because I I was shaking for most of the game. I struggled breathing at one point. I had to actually leave my apartment to the balcony just to get some air because I, I couldn't I couldn't stand it. And then after the game, I, I like I took some shots and I, I got a little tipsy. But most of for the most of it, my memory issue, my just out of body experience is just fatigue, just like a big relief. My for some reason, I woke up sore today. Yep. Like my my muscles are tight. I'm really tender, and I don't know why I didn't play. I was a fucking dick just sitting on the couch watching a game. But here I am having like just a complete body breakdown. Yeah. 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 I, uh, so in between the first overtime uh, and the second overtime, I ran. I, I'm up in my you know, little studio area, which is kind of above the garage, disconnected to the house. So I had to run th uh, out to the front porch inside, grab another beer, run back out. 
as I was running up the stairs, I literally just missed a stair, fell, my kneecap smashed into the hard stairwell. It absolutely killed. I have like bad knees as it is. I have a bad back. I like literally like dun, 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 like fell down the stairs. I crawled to the top in so much physical pain. And I was like army crawling, bear, like, like Leo in, in the Revenant after he got attacked by the bear, just anything I could do to get back in front of the television in time, laying down, watching second overtime unfold. Like I, I don't, I, I don't know. I was screaming, woke Maddie up and, and she is in a literally a whole different part of the house through two different insulated walls. I, I don't know, man. I just, I, I, I laid my heart and soul out for on the field last night uh, to help bring home that victory. So shout out me, but I am uh, just like you, Dylan. I am in a physical pain train today. I didn't get out of bed until four o'clock in the afternoon. My, I have an Apple Watch, uh, humble brag, and it tracks my heart rate. Uh, so I looked before overtime, uh, and it from kickoff until overtime, I was above one hundred the entire game. My resting heart rate, not to brag, is around 51. So I was 50 beats above my resting heart rate. For the, That's like I'm doing a cardio workout. My Apple Watch registered that I had four minutes of cardio during the game. So well, let's just put it that way. Scientifically speaking, I have nothing left. I, I have something. I feel like we all have these stories, but I have such an odd story about during the game i'm not a superstitious person at all i know none of that stuff is real but i've mentioned before on this podcast sometimes with regard to notre dame i can get a little superstitious irrationally in the middle of a game so when the game had started i've got to play like a champion today sign in uh, in my bedroom so i'm in a one bedroom apartment there's a bedroom and a living room and i live with my girlfriend so it's very tight space to begin with before the game started i hit the play like a champion today sign and i went to sit down for the first quarter. First quarter went excellent. So, you know, break between the second quarter. I go back into the room. I hit the play like a champion today sign just because I had to go to the room. So I hit it on the way out. We played great in the second quarter. Now, I didn't hit the play like a champion today sign going into the third quarter. And we played really, really poorly in the third quarter. So (laughs) in the fourth quarter. And at this point, my girlfriend's practicing for the LSATs. So she is extremely, extremely busy. And we're already tight in a one-bedroom apartment. And I'm already yelling throughout the game. So she hates me. She just wants me to die. (laughs) And here I am busting into the room for the fourth quarter, hitting the sign, saying, sorry, bye. Fourth quarter goes well. Every possession in the overtime, I've kept going into the room as she's in the middle of practicing for an exam, and I keep hitting that sign because there is no way in hell I am not hitting that sign because we keep playing well when I do. And I couldn't believe myself because I'm not a superstitious person, but watching this game, it was like anything I can do. If It's like that Bud Light commercial. If I can get like the label pointed the right direction on a kick, I would do it. Anything to get that over the line. Yeah. Yeah, and and anything and everything, and uh, I feel like we as a fan base, a, a tortured fan base. I think everyone was doing everything in their own right. And I'm sure there's a bunch of stories and any uh, any stories, any superstitions, any kind of you know game day festivities or your experiences. Please uh, tweet us, and and we'll uh, we'd be happy to retweet you and and just get into the dialogue because I'm sure everyone has has thrilling stories to tell. So do you guys want to talk about the actual game for what we can remember of it? Yeah. Because if if, if I can just start, I, I want to talk about Ian Book. That was 
and and I will caveat this. Um, his EPA numbers were 0.2 passing, which, as if you guys recall, that's good. That's not great. That's good. His QBR was raw was 50, and then adjusted was 78, which is good. But screw the stats. I don't care. He didn't play good. He played amazing. That was the best performance I've seen from a Notre Dame quarterback, given the given the opposition in my lifetime. He single-handedly carried us. We were in the third and fourth quarter running the ball and getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage far too much, and we kept converting on third down through through timely passes, through book scrambles. I mean, that drive to win the game was absolutely astonishing. I, I, I cannot give Ian Book enough credit, and we on the show have been critical. We've been in support. I, at this point, I think it was just absolutely un- amazing that that Ian was able to pull that off, and, and I think the first and foremost point of this game has to be Ian Book. Yeah, I, I would agree, uh, and we can kind of caveat this into the Four Horsemen too, but uh, when you watched him play, and when I was breaking down the tape from Clemson uh, and BC, you saw what Dracovic could do with his feet. Uh, I was a little disappointed that they didn't run the read option a little bit more with Book, and they were running that weird. It's like a weird quarterback sweep, but it's not. It's not power. It's not sweep. Uh, Brad and I really trying to figure out what the play. It's it's a shitty play. That's what it is. Uh, but if you had that read option going, he could have made made them miss. Uh, but he he controlled what he could control, and he let it go when he had to let it go. Uh, so really, it was a very impressive game by him. I've been the most critical of him. Uh, probably out of the three of us, and I was very impressed by what we saw out of him. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> you know we've we've always talked about footwork, um, you know, feeling pressure that's not there, or not adjusting to pre-snap reads, uh, picking up a blitz. We all know it. Everyone who with eyeballs over the last three years have, has seen greatness, and they've also seen some shortcomings uh, on occasion, and. You talk about rising to the occasion and just and just doing what you have to do. I mean, Bookie just you know avoiding sacks. I don't think he got sacked once in the entire game. He was he was dancing yeah. around the pocket, but not in in the appropriate manner. He was he was staying within the pocket, but moving around, setting his feet, keeping his eyes upfield. You know, catching Michael Mayer on on that crossing route, Tommy Tremble on on that uh, that third down, going right to left. He just threads the needle. I mean, you know, the the deep ball to the one on one to Javon McKinley. That's three third down conversions right there off the top of my head. Just huge, huge, every step of the way. I mean, Ian. Ian, 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 I love you so much. Now, going off of that real quick, they did that little sugar huddle like LSU did in the national championship game against Clemson. Do you think that played into it at all? The fact that he didn't have to rush to the line, make a pre-stamp read on his own, and he could get into the huddle, talk to, I guess the offensive coordinator being up in the booth didn't help, but he was able to talk to Kelly, let's say. Uh, He was able to get the play in and then go to work. Do you think him slowing the game down for himself helped? It, it could be that. It could be just he had he had to play good. He just, if, if you watch that game, he refused to lose. He did everything necessary to win that game. Um, and, like, we've criticized his footwork particularly, but I don't think I've ever seen a better play from Ian Book than the 70-yard bomb to Avery Davis oh, to yep. tie the game. He, he There's pressure coming from the outside. He shuffles up into the pocket 
avoiding a defender, and he launches a ball with my boy Avery Davis beating beating his guy on a on a post route, and that saves the ball game. And I I just kept felt like I kept seeing that all game from him. I and I was very positive from from the Twitter account, thinking right from the first quarter, like books in it tonight. And part of that is his O line. I think that's something we're gonna get into too. That O line gave him years to throw the ball and it worked and we i thought if you recall our predictions for the game i thought we would have to get the ball out of his hands quick that wasn't the case at all we actually were able to to just sit in the pocket and make throws uh, but that's because of the o-line and and that's the funny thing i think with the predictions is if we look back and listen to what we all said where i was wrong is i thought this was going to be a race to 17 which hilariously wasn't true where i was right though was that Avery Davis would be the breakout wide receiver for us. And that if we tested Clemson down the field, we could move the ball on them. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, I wasn't impressed with Clemson's defense in the slightest. I thought, you know, we're going to, we're going to probably face them again, and they're going to be a lot better with Trevor Lawrence and, and, and get healthier on defense. I'm not afraid of them, not defensively. I think we can move that ball. And if, if we're scoring 30 on you, I trust my defense. And I think that's ultimately what came down in the overtime, right, was – our defense got, was it like four sacks in a row? I, I don't even know what happened in that sequence. All I know is on the fourth down, that ball kept pinging around the place, and I was like begging someone to just end the goddamn game. And I, I think that's what was really impressive with, with, with what I saw, is that this inconsistent offense that we were so concerned about going into Clemson was amazing. We moved the ball. I am I, at a loss for words for it. Um, but I will say that the three of us did predict an Irish victory and our friends at Notre Dame football analytics, owe <laughs> owe us something for, for taking the tigers. Um, I'm for my tweet, my apology tweet. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of apology tweets, I need, there's something else we need to discuss. Um, in the third quarter when it was 23, 16, yes, one score game, Clemson was driving. And they were, they they had converted, I think, a fourth down or something. And I saw, I swear, people on the timeline saying the game is over. While we were winning, we were up seven and people were saying the game was over. And then, of course, Clemson scored. And then more people kept saying, well, this is done. I'm like, how the fuck can you say this is done in a tie game going into the fourth quarter? Even if we may lose, giving up now is the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. And this was an issue I saw from the Northern fan base. I'm not going to call it people in particular, but it is just disgusting. Like, do you guys not know what fighting Irish means? Like, the whole point of this program is that we've been able to over overcome the odds. That's what the that's what I said at the beginning. That's the fight song. And here you are giving up while leading against the biggest the biggest team in the biggest game of probably your lifetime. i I was so disgusted by that. And I'm gonna tell you guys now, if you're a listener and you're that kind of mentality, watch another sport. Football is not for you. If you do not have any faith in your team, not even like, oh, well, you know, Clemson's better. They'll probably win the game. You can make that prediction. But if you're in the middle of the game saying, it's over, it's over, it's a tie game, it's over, this was a nice run, go. Just get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. And I know I know, P-Wagon is going to definitely echo that in probably a more vulgar way. So I'm going to let you take that away. We don't want any of chicken little head asses in here anymore. Uh. <laughs> No, hand up. I was one of those guys. I believe my tweet was, good night. I've seen this before. 
Uh, that was in the fourth quarter, though, when they were losing. Uh, but really, I I don't have any room for vulgarity here. The chicken little mentality that most fans have is frustrating. I got into it in the morning probably because I, I drank a bang energy and I was feeling great. Uh, and there's certain accounts out there who don't like me and I don't like them. Uh, and they have this mentality of, oh, the world's falling when it's, you know, it's not. And if you feel that way about this program, there's other sports out there for you. Curling is a sport. You can get involved with horseshoes. I, I don't care what sport you go to. Notre Dame football is not for you. Yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> I mean, I've said it before. It's just like, I, I can't get excited every August and, and wake up on, on Saturdays come uh, the end of August, beginning of September. I can't do this unless I think that we're going to win it all. Yep. I can't, I can't wake up on a Saturday in, unless I have, I, I know in my heart that we have a chance to win this game, regardless who the opponent is, regardless if it's Bama 2012 or any other team. I can rationalize or think my way into anything because I have to have that belief. If I don't, if I, if I think that it's just like, oh, well, we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, it's Notre Dame and you know, we have Clemson on the schedule this year because this wacky record and this, that, the other thing It's just like, I, if I think in August that we're going to lose or, or not have at least a chance to make the playoffs, what's the point of being a fan? Why, why would you show up? That's like being a fan of like the Baltimore Orioles, like, and they don't have fans. So like I don't know, man. I just like it's if, it's wicked if, annoying. That and not to talk over you, it's just so annoying because you have these people out there who probably have the leprechaun tattooed on them somewhere, <laughs> and they're out there saying, "Oh, well, you know, we're not as good as SEC." Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but basically, I think what we're all getting at is, yeah, I mean, I, you'll you'll find me critical of every aspect of our game in any capacity and and all of us will be yeah well i'll let you know if there's any shortcomings of this team but when you when there's a big game i'll tell you i think we're overmatched but you know i think if we can exploit xyz we have a chance i will never ever 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 literally ever say that we do not have a chance to win a football game it could be against a nfl franchise and i will still say well if we do xyz we stand a somewhat chance to win that game i don't care and if you don't have that mentality if you don't think that you know we can do it then i you know it is what it is you be the fan that you want to be it's just you know you're making the rest of us look bad have some faith turn the tv off turn 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 the goddamn tv off if you think in the third quarter the game is over go to bed take a bath it's not for you. In the biggest game of your life, you're just declaring it over. I get it that you know what you think Clemson's good. You've seen this before. I'm not I'm not taking issue with that. What I'm taking issue with is people who literally said this is the game. Go away. Just go away. There's no point in you watching football. What's the point if the stinks aren't high and you have something to overcome? We just witnessed the greatest Notre Dame game in at least two decades at least and here we are giving up what like you got to witness history and you were saying the game was over now you look like an asshole by the way you look like an absolute dick if you were saying the game was over and we won 
just why publish that even like if you keep that in your head fine you put that out there i i have no i have no comment for you just enough um yeah i agree and mike golick <clears throat> i'm not sure when these were it, it says 22 hours ago uh so it's 10 14 p.m i would guess that's around the third quarter roughly given you know give or take a few minutes uh he had four tweets in a row uh my good friend mike golick jr uh he said i want to be dead i hate the world my life is hell those were three in a row and then four minutes after my life is hell he said okay i'm back so if that doesn't describe a someone going through it as i told my friends uh i don't know what does i i personally went through it and uh, it it was something. So to kind of segue into that part, uh, and it goes nicely with the third quarter statement here. Where did you go through it, Dylan? Um, I think it was the fumble into the end zone. But I would also say that was the turning point of the game for Notre Dame. And what I mean by that is, we were about to go take the lead after Clemson had just tied the game. Ian Book fumbles the ball into the end zone. You know, a little unlucky, too. I mean, it just happened that it was being ripped as he was falling. And then we get a stop. We get a three and out. And we get the ball back. And all of a sudden, just like that, game's back on. Everybody calms down. The defense stood up. And this is, this is something I really want to get to, is that this, the DNA of this team is unlike anything I've seen before. And there was multiple times we've seen that in this game. So what I'll say is we have seen Notre Dame come back against poor teams before, right? We saw Northwestern. We saw Virginia Tech. We've, we've seen those games. We've seen Notre Dame hang in with good teams but ultimately fall short. The mentality of this team is like nothing I've ever seen before. Not only in that example did they come back after that, but just think of the last drive, right? We get a Ben Skoronek, uh ball through his hands on fourth down. Clemson gets the ball back with about two and a half minutes. It looks like it's game over. Defense holds. We get the ball with a minute 46. At our own nine. On our own nine. And unlike the Georgia games, because both Georgia games, we had a chance to drive to win. We get it done. And then to make things even crazier, the very first play of the overtime is a touchdown. And they ended up reviewing it and whatever, all that stuff. It was effectively a touchdown. Could you imagine how demoralizing that is? You get Clemson to overtime after not taking the two-point conversion, and you give up a touchdown. Now the pressure's back on you. And what did we do? We scored. I have never seen Notre Dame like that before, not against a team of this quality. We either, when, when things are down, we're either out of the game altogether, Alabama, Clemson, whatever, or we don't just end up winning a, a tight game. So, you know, you ask me what that moment was for me. It was the fumble. But that was also the turning point, and that was the moment I realized this Notre Dame team is unlike any I've seen. And, uh, yeah, Steve, what about you? Yeah, I went through it with with, uh, with the Skoronek, you know, phantom penalty where Dabo just kind of stamped his feet like a petulant child. And they were like, oh, okay, you've won a national championship before, so we're just going to, like, listen to you, coach. Like, okay, cool, sick. <laughs> and then, uh, so, yeah, that... Yeah, it was a bang bang play, but even the announcers were like, you know, you kind of have to call that. You know, if it would be one thing if it was from behind, but he also had like 
shirt on the on the front of hand his his hand on the front of his jersey. So there was like two ends of contact, just a little bit too much to to not to 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 pick up that flag, which was ridiculous. So at that point, I was just like, we're punting. It's like they do have Travis Etienne, they do have a two hundred and fifty pound quarterback. What are the odds? Although our our defense has been so good tonight against the run, what are the, the odds that we can stop them? And and we just did. And going from the the emotional high to seeing the flag, then to the low, then to the the nervousness and and being f- like absolutely fraught, uh, you know, first, second, third down, stopping them, freaking out, losing my mind. It gets we you know they punt the ball, we get it on the nine, and and I tweeted right there at that moment, ninety one yards to glory, let's do this because you have to just believe that it's going to happen, and they did it. They it, fucking it did felt it. it felt like the offensive pi against Florida State. Yeah, when you've scored the touchdown, right? We got we got the flag. Yeah, then it's called back, and then there's the drop pass, and it felt like absolute, just shit. I felt like here we go again. But that that's another point. Dabo Swinney is a petulant child. He doesn't even deserve the nickname Dabo. His name is William. Uh, So William's stomping his feet and throwing his headset. Uh, He should have been flagged multiple times for referee abuse throughout the game. Uh, He's the worst, and that's all I'll say about him. So how about how about Clemson, Clemson's quarterback? His, what are your thoughts on DJ? He's good. He, the the bloodline is there. His brother is six foot four, two hundred and forty five pounds as a sophomore. Uh, so I'm not going to take anything away from the Ugalales. Um I think that's how you pronounce it. Yes. Whatever. And he he threw for four hundred and twenty nine yards. The most at Notre Dame since Carson Palmer in 2002. He has a cannon for an arm. He is raw. He missed a backside seam that would have been a touchdown uh, when he was rolling out of the pocket in the fourth quarter. But if you can get him to do his reads and set his feet a little bit more, he's he's a Heisman Trophy candidate. Oh, right. he's, an, he's an NFL quarterback. He's he's going to be an NFL ready quarterback after he finishes his first complete season, which will be next year. He'll be a true sophomore NFL ready, just like like Lawrence was. He's incredible. Yeah, he looks he looks a lot like Lawrence did, I think, in Lawrence's first year with just that raw the raw strength and mobility. Um, but what that kind of leads into is, dear Clemson fans and dear Notre Dame haters, we respect Clemson. I thought they're they're a fantastic team. There's no doubt about that. But if you're using the excuses of Lawrence was out, go debate a brick wall. I'm, you're, I, I kick rocks. I here's the thing: he played like a Heisman candidate. He had 16 EPA himself. He he had a oh, Heisman shit. performance. DJ was fantastic. It's like Lawrence. Lawrence is better. Don't get me wrong, probably. But like the difference between that game, I do not think was the quarterback because the quarterback didn't cost you the game. Yes, you have defensive injuries. We don't have wide receivers. So if you're going to try to take that away from Notre Dame, you are a scumbag, you're a poor loser, and you just hate us for hating us. This was a fantastic win by Notre Dame, no matter who was at quarterback, because both of them are fantastic players. Can I launch a, a, a take missile into the sun right now? I love what it. it's going to be. I think that they are Clemson is more dangerous. I'm more afraid to play them with DJ than I am Trevor Lawrence. 
because DJ feels just a little bit more, a little bit more two dimensional. Where with Lawrence, he's mobile. They have some design runs with him. He's he's not like you know, you know Peyton Manning out there that runs a, like a six four forty. But uh, you know, DJ just feels a bit more dynamic. Feels like a, a Tua on steroids. So with you know, we were we totally shut down the running game. And we were keeping them honest, but I think I think we still had to play a bunch of guys in the box and weren't able to go back in coverage. I mean, think about Kyle Hamilton. He was by and large, I don't think he dropped back deep at all. And and that, you know, that ended up paying dividends for Clemson as they were able to get some deep shots off of uh, off of us, which is something we were worried about, which came to fruition. But you know, we had to stay you know, it, it, with guys in the box and, and because we had to respect the fact that this six foot five Beast, he gets an open field, very easily a touchdown or a forty-plus yard gain. So, uh, I don't yep. think that that Trevor Lawrence has that aspect, and I feel like we can drop more guys into coverage and and drop some different blitzes. So that's my hot take. That I'm more afraid to play Clemson with DJ. And I'm gonna go off that hot take and kind of double down. If I'm Trevor Lawrence and I see that, I would say fuck it. Why why do I play the rest of the season? I'm just going to get ready for the NFL draft now. His stock is there. The only thing now, he only can go down. He's a number one pick. We know that. Why risk it? You ha- you know Clemson has a viable backup. That might be a hot take, but that's my thought. I wonder if that's going to be in discussions, you know, media people, if, if that's going to become a topic. If, if it is, you heard it here first on the Horseman Pod. <laughs> well, I, I did interrupt you there just to get my fi- my uh, my fiery hot take off, but Dylan, I'll uh, defer back next time. All right, basically. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think we're good. Your audio cut there for a bit, but it's okay. The audience doesn't want to listen to you anyway. Um, Travis Etienne, twenty-eight rushing yards. Wow. Phenomenal play. Our our defense. I don't care they gave up 40 points. They are fantastic. Well, you, our defense only gave up 33 points in regulation. Yeah. And, and you think and, and I mean a lot of that was off explosive plays, right? Which is the weakness, which we got to improve on. You have the ACC all-time rushing leader. Everyone is saying this guy could be a first-round draft pick. No. No, not at all. Kurt yeah. Heinisch owns ATN. ATN's going to be thinking of Kurt Heinisch in his dreams because he was terrorized on the defensive line. Our linebackers played phenomenally well. And you know where this game was won and lost? And I know our friend Connor McQuiston will definitely point out that our win probability was about 9% given all that was out there. I don't care. Do you know where this game was won and lost? Third down. Third down is where this game was won and lost. And here's the stat. Notre Dame went 10 for 19. That's over 50% against Clemson on third down. That w- That's Ian Book. How many third down plays did you see that you're like, I don't know if we're going to get this. Then he gets it. He hits Ben Skoranek. He hits Javon McKinley. He hits a tight end. Book was good. Where did Clemson finish on third downs? Four for 15. Why? <clears throat> because they, one, couldn't run the ball. Like I had said on the show, I'm like, I hope Clemson tries to establish a run because good luck. You're going to have a lot of third downs and long. And two, we brought pressure. 
We made it hard for him. Our defense is good. And this game was won and lost on third down. And I don't know if Trevor Lawrence really changes that. I, I don't know if he does. And, uh, and you know what? We left more points on the board. We had the false start on fourth and inches. That would have put us up 14-0, assuming we end up scoring on that drive. We had to settle for three. We had, when, when uh, the Joker recovered to the fumble, or forced the fumble, rather, um, we were on like the 30, 35-yard line. Very first play, we get a blindside block. What? I didn't even know that was called anymore. I thought that penalty was abolished. That puts us out of, out of any kind of drive contention. We had three there. We were lucky to settle for three because Jonathan Doerr had a really good game. And then we fumbled the ball into the end zone. So that's possibly 21 points. And don't get me wrong, Clemson had to settle for field goals too. But we also fumbled in the end zone, right? Notre Dame left points on the board. We were better on third down. I was amazed. I thought this was one of the best performances I think we've seen from Notre Dame in a long time. I agree. Yeah. Uh, And I think when it felt like when Clemson was, I think they only had one relatively short field goal. The rest of theirs were were from pretty deep, you know, 40 plus. I think they had one inside the, you know, 35. Uh, Ours, we had what, two within, you know, 25, 35 yards, like chip shots because we were on the freaking goal line, like inside the 10, just couldn't get, you know, bang it in. So uh, there was a bit of a difference between us settling for field goal when it was, you know, you know, third and goal from the eight and them settling for field goal when, when they, they can't convert and they're at, you know, like the 21 as an example. So uh, it, we definitely were, th- their defense was a bit more, more porous. Ours was, a, it was definitely a more stout. So just to amplify your, your very correct take there. And before we get into the four horsemen, I just had a thought about Kurt Heinisch. Uh, he reminds me of like a local 93 union worker who just goes to work every day with a steel lunchbox. <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm going to go to work, meal ticket in, meal ticket out. Uh, but he also reminds me of a New York giant. It's Just follow me here on this statement. Not the, the New York giants right now who are terrible, but like the ones who beat the Patriots. He's going to be a, maybe even a stealer. I don't care. He's going to be a linebacker or maybe an, a tackle in the NFL. He's going to put in a good seven to ten years, maybe more, and then he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's He just has that like work ethic, but he's not going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's going to be 70, 80 years old, and he's going to get in on the final ballot of his life. So that, <laughs> like that Brett Russell. That is my Kurt Heinish thought. He's just a very consistent human being, yeah. and that's all. I love him. He, he's a blue-collar player for sure. Like, you would expect him to be from, like, Erie, Pennsylvania or something. I'm pretty just sure the, he's from Pittsburgh. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a, a none of a oil mill worker. Shout out none of <laughs> So that's a swing and a miss, but I appreciate the effort. Right. Um, four horsemen time. You know what, P-Wagon, you go first. Number one, Jay Bramblett. <laughs> he didn't do well at punting. And no. He had one fifty yarder. He did. Yeah, he had one that nice one. He needed at that time. Yeah. Uh, the tackle, he rose to the occasion. The tackle he made, and I've been high on Jay Bramblett all year. He threw himself in front of Travis Sintian that if he didn't try to hurdle him, he would have been tackled anyway because he just threw his body in front of a human. Uh, it was the tackle of the year. Uh, he is 
the best tackler in the country. Jay Bramblett's my first horseman. And I only have one other. Uh, I could have done four. I know you guys will have probably more stats. But the other horseman, and this might come as a shock. The other horseman is Ian Book. I've been, this is big for me. This is a growing moment for me. Ian Book played his ass off. He threw for a pedestrian 310 yards, a sneaky 310 yards, and he won the game. He won the he won the game. That's all you can say about him. He made the throws where he had to throw. That's all I got. Those I tell teams. you what. I tell you what. P wagon. He played so well that I I've heard from a good source that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are just licking their lips, ready to sign him the, at any moment. That's the their Edmonton Eskimos are going to have him ready to go for the Great Cup. He's going to be a Great Cup legend. Edmonton football team for the you year. guys are being mean to my quarterback who I have supported every step of the way. All right. So anyway, getting into uh, to our my four horsemen, uh, starting at number four and, and heading upwards. Uh, the defensive line, man, oh, man. I mean, stuffing the run, not letting up anything, and then also the ability to get to the quarterback, especially in the most crucial and critical moments. Defensive line was where we thought there was going to be potential weakness. Holy crap, is that a strength and, and, and a blessing. So thank how, how about God that for those guys. Jay, from Dalen Hayes. Dalen Hayes. Smith swipe. Yeah, he did. He did after that huge sack on third and something and to make it fourth and like 29. I mean, that that was electric. Um, Next up, Kyron Williams. So outside of the 65 yard touchdown run, he was still, you know, gashing and and, uh, gotten up field. I mean, I think he had over 120 yards or 130 yards or something like that. So there was there was plenty of other yardage that came from him running throughout the game. And then in, in overtime, you know, hanging on to the football, taking on guys and just freaking bullying them into the end zone with the help of Tommy Tremble, that psychopath. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much, Kyron, for a huge game and especially overtime. Uh, then next, the two forced fumble doer, uh, Jeremiah Owusu, Koromoa. And obviously, number one's got to be Ian Book. Uh, don't need to go over the stats. Stats are for losers. So those guys were just uh, far and away. They did their job. Also honorable mention, speaking of doing your job, uh, Jonathan Dorr. Jonathan Dorr, clutch as hell. Even that, that kick he missed was what from, what, 57? Yep. And he came up two yards short, and he was dead center. So now we know as long as 55. I can't believe we haven't talked about the first play of the game. So I would just like to send, spend like 15 seconds saying we punch Clemson square in the mouth. And by 1450 in the first quarter, we were up seven, nothing. That was phenomenal. The move Kyron Williams made on the secondary player before blowing past him was amazing. And my second favorite play of the rushing part of the night, my favorite being, if you recall, Ian Book driving in the fourth quarter, he had to reach a first down, and he totally like juked a linebacker into going one oh, way yeah. and ran around him. That was phenomenal, too. Ian Book, I, I know people say this, that he's that white quarterbacks are sneaky athletic. He's he's just athletic. <laughs> he's just an athletic guy. He did. Boy, howdy. He was good. He was good. Um, okay, so for me, uh, I have some honorable mentions because I'm a total cheat. Uh, Kurt Heinisch, 
honorable mention, uh, as I said on the, the, the podcast account on Twitter, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, Kyle Hamilton was all over the place. He had some huge tackles for losses, huge stops on the line of scrimmage. Um, and then another one, Javon McKinley actually led Notre Dame in total EPA uh, because of that big, big play he had. And the reason he's not on my four horsemen list is because my fourth horseman is Avery Davis. He's my boy. I picked him in the in the in the preview game as to be the breakout wide receiver. He was getting criticized for part of the game for not quite I think performing the way people wanted him to, but I thought he was great. I mean, you you got the 80-yard touchdown or the the 80-yard reception leading to the touchdown, you got the actual touchdown itself. Um he had that one foot in bounds uh that they had to review. I mean, I thought Avery Davis was really good throughout the game. Uh third horseman for me is the offensive line. Um, Kyron Williams was, was great, of course, but the offensive line, I think made most of that happen on that first play and also passing the game. Uh, Our running, our running protection wasn't super great in the second half, but the pass pro was fantastic. And also the running backs, Kyron Williams picked up a huge block on that last, he picked up like six, he was massive. So the offensive line, in terms of protecting Book and allowing Book to thrive, third horseman. Second, the Joker, Jeremiah Wusukoromora, fantastic. He's he's earning his way into a top 15 draft pick. Uh, forced fumble, and then returned a fumble for a touchdown uh, because Etienne, you know, can't play Notre yeah. Dame is what I'm coming to. And then, of course, like you guys, Ian Book, fantastic. Just fantastic. Everything about him, the confidence, um, the way he had scored. That's the highlight of his career. And I'm very glad for him. I'm glad that he's going to live with that for the rest of his life, that he that he was such a big, influential part of Notre Dame, knocking off the Clemson Tigers. So kudos to, uh, to Ian Book. Can I uh, um, throw one more in before we move on? Yep. Ben Steranich. Uh I was sitting with Brad Kelly, who's an NFL draft analyst, uh, good, good friend of the program, uh, Dylan's close personal enemy. <laughs> but... I like him. What? It was, it was a, it's a joke that I, I wanted to try to get going. I, was, <laughs> I just want to start a feud. That's all I'm looking for. But anyway, Brad's, a, Brad's a good guy. I'm sitting with Brad. Uh, he's a former former uh, guest of the show. And we were talking about Ben Skoranich. And I compared him to Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, he immediately threw that right out the window. Didn't think that he's like Larry Fitzgerald at all. But where I was getting at was Ben Skoranich is a lanky human who can make the tough catches and he'll be a very solid current Heinish, like seven to 10 year career in the NFL. Uh, he may not get drafted, but he will make some team very happy. That's a good point. Um, what do we got left games? Games. Do you guys want to hear the awful, awful games Paywagon made us pick from? Oh, oh boy. I'm ready. You, you can host this segment. Okay. This is, I'm taking no accountability for this. This is all on you. Well, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, everyone knows I am a Mac fan and a Fun Belt fan. So I said, buckle up, buckaroos. Uh, I also refuse to have any games from the state of Michigan uh, involving teams wearing maize and blue. Uh, so that's why that game isn't on there. But uh, Wisconsin by 20. Um, here we go. First game of the week, the P-Wagon pick, the P-Wagon parlay. Toledo, Western Michigan, Tuesday night. Um, okay, so I don't know either team at all. I don't know if I've ever watched a game from either team. So I'm taking the home team, Western Michigan, and I hope that's what WMU stands for. Indeed it does. 
Joe Broncos. And uh, Steve? I'm going with the Rockets. Go Toledo. I am also on the Rockets. Uh, Coach Dubs can't be messed with. Uh, Shark Wheel. <laughs> now, the, the next one is a Big Ten matchup. Uh, one probably one, the bottom of the Big Ten, I think, is very important to emphasize here. It's probably one of the most important Big Ten matchups of the the year. Uh, Penn State and Nebraska. Dylan. Well, they have a combined 0 for 5 record, I think, to start the season. I don't think there's any way Penn State can, can be any worse than this, so I'll take the Nittany Lions to beat the Cornhuskers. Steven? Nebraska helped save college football. Uh, They were one of the resilient ones, not pussies that didn't want to play because they were scared. They they didn't want to to play football. They weren't scared. So I'm going with Nebraska because they have balls and actually announced from the very beginning of this this virus that they were willing to play. I have a close friend on Twitter, uh, Leslie Mysack. Uh, she follows the program. Uh, she's a huge Nebraska fan, and it's hilarious because she lives in L.A. Uh, she's probably the only fan of Nebraska in L.A. Uh, so just for that, I'm going with Nebraska. Go Husters. And to be now, fair, she, she's probably the only one in L.A. who can point out Nebraska on a map. Fair. Yeah. Uh, going from there, we have UTEP, the University of Texas El Paso, and the University of Texas San Antonio Roadrunners. Meep, meep. Uh, Dylan. So I didn't know what either of these stood for, to be honest with you, because the Mac or the WAC or whatever it is, I, are, I I believe these are Sunbelt. Okay, well, as far as I'm concerned, they're they're not even programs, and I'm I, I so I'm going with UTSA. Um, yep, that uh, no analysis. That's that's the extent of what I'm going to give you, Steve. They are orange and blue, which is the same colors as Boise State. So that makes me think they have an advantage. So I'm going UTSA. Very good uh, analysis there. I'm also uh, going to be on UTSA. Uh, when I was looking at oh, their uh, 7th and 3rd in the whatever conference they're in. And I, I'm pretty they, sure it's the Mountain West. I don't think they're Mountain West. I'm pretty sure they're Sunbelt. Sunbelt, no. Mac, Whack, I don't know. One, one of those three. I think Whack. If Oops. you actually think about it, who, who cares? Next game. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> I'm on UTSA. There, there was a story behind it, but UTSA is UTSA. And up next, Army Tulane. Dylan, go. Um, Tulane. Um, Army's got six and one, which might fool people, but I'm fairly certain two of those games were against high schools, so I'm taking Tulane. Steve. <laughs> I'm also rolling with the uh, the mini tide, the baby tide, the green wave. You idiot! Uh, I, I'm on army. Uh, I got to support the troops. Final one: Colorado, Stanford. Um, I I I was right last week not taking Stanford, so I'm going to continue that and say Colorado keeps their momentum after beating UCLA. I was wrong in taking Stanford, so I'm going to prove myself right by taking Stanford again. <laughs> and I will go with the Buffs. All right. Feels like 1990. Well, let's hope it doesn't feel like 1993 because the Irish will be heading to uh, Chestnut Hill to take on the Boston College Eagles. For those of you who know your history, Notre Dame beat Florida State in Game of the Century 1993 only to lose to Boston College the next week and ultimately cost them the national championship 
although they probably should have been voted champions. Um, guys, how do you feel about that game? Uh, we're not going to do any analysis because Boston College is not worth doing analysis of, but just what are your feelings? Uh, it's going to be like Rocky Five. Uh, very specific reference there. It is <laughs> bad. Is that is that the reference? It'll be bad. <laughs> kind of. But no, it is Rocky, the the mentor versus Tommy Gunn, the mentee. Uh, you have Phil Dracovic, who we were high on at one point in our life, uh, versus Ian Book. That, that's my matchup right there. Irish by 17, uh, but Phil Dracovic is going to keep them in the game until uh, Jeremiah Awusu-Koromoa comes across and takes them out. Kyle Hamilton, two interceptions, and uh, maybe a couple forced fumbles on the de- for the defense as well. Fair enough. Um, the only thing that's concerning me is because everyone stormed the field that I'm hoping that there isn't some sort of COVID outbreak within the, you know, the, the Irish locker room that's going to keep key guys out. I don't foresee that because, uh, it did come out that Brian Kelly before the game specifically said like, guys, just so you know, if we win, they're going to storm the field and here's our exit plans. So they tried to get every player off the field ASAP. It was still outside, and thankfully, Notre Dame is a smart and intelligent school. They tested everyone. Everyone at that game was negative. Everyone, by and large, was wearing masks. Uh, There wasn't much social distancing, but there was a lot of masking going on. So hopefully, there's no breakout. If there isn't one, we're going to win, and we're going to win handedly. That's my analysis. You guys aren't worried about a repeat of 93 or just being emotionally drained from Clemson? Not, no. Uh, I think with the leadership we have, the senior leadership, uh, the entire offensive line, Ian Book, even uh, Ben Skoranek and all those cats over there, they're old enough to know how to manage themselves. The game was on Saturday. Now it's going to be a following Saturday. They probably didn't practice today. They'll be fine for for next Saturday. And Chestnut Hill from South Bend's a, a quick flight. Also, something worth noting is we did not come up with the hashtag it feels like 1993. Came up with the hashtag that feels like 1988. Feels like 88. And we did not lose in the year 1988. So we can't lose this game. It's just transitive property. Flawless logic. If any of you are watching Boston College's defense. Yeah, they haven't been they haven't been good this year. They're Five and three, they've beaten the teams they should, but uh, they barely beat Syracuse last week by a field goal. Um, I think this game is going to actually be close in the beginning. So I think maybe for the first half, we'll we'll go into the half, let's say 17-10 or something like that. Uh, And then I think we break away in the second half. I think we're two touchdown favorites. So uh, we end up winning. I'm I'm with you guys. I think we win comfortably. But I I think we could see a little bit of a slow start, uh, just given the emotional toll. Uh, given that BC will be hyped up for it. Uh, but ultimately, history is not going to repeat itself here. And like Steve said, feels like 88 cannot be, feels like 1993. So that's it. That's There's no other argument anyone can make. So score yeah. predictions? I will go 41. Doing my math here because I said by 17. 41 24. Irish. Dilly, uh, I'm gonna say 
37, 14. I think we're all in a pretty decent mindset and, and all kind of on the same page. I'm going 34, 20 Irish. That's good. I think that's, we're all, we're all usually on the same page, which is why the Notre Dame fighting Irish is like 30 and three since we've started this podcast. So you're welcome. Causation is correlation and vice versa. That's Facts. the only thing I learned. Uh, <laughs> do you guys have anything, anything you want to say or, or talk about before we, we hang out? Uh, we went over 700 fans on Twitter or whatever you want to call them. Keep adding us. Keep talking to us. So you never know who's going to respond to you. It could be me. It could be Dylan. It could be Steve. It's like you choose your own adventure. Uh, so <laughs> Figure it out. Five-star reviews, by the way. Yes, please. Yes. Apple Podcast, five-star reviews. Subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, we're going to keep on doing this. Uh, it does feel like 88. And uh, if you have any questions, hit us up. All right. I want to I wanna end on one note. We were tweeting throughout the game that go do this and make history. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish made history. We knocked off the top team in the country under the lights in double overtime in the most Notre Dame way possible. And we proved that Fighting Irish is about overcoming odds and creating your own destiny. And that's everything that this program is and everything this team is. And I think that's something important that we all have to remember that we are the fucking Notre Dame fighting Irish. Don't you forget it. And with that, I think we can end, can basically end the podcast here. Guys, last words. BC stands for backup college. Go Irish beat Eagles. Notre Dame is great again. Go Irish. Beat BC.